Revealing books for anyone told to go back to school, with no other societal support except lucky bootstraps. The Education Myth, How Human Capital Trumps Social Democracy, by John Shelton, Professor of Democracy and Justice Studies at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Praise for the book includes, John Shelton reveals the hidden history of how, and why, the U.S. failed to implement social reforms needed to guarantee health care, education, and employment as human rights. If you want to know why this country is faced today with overwhelming inequality and injustice, you must read this book. Let's do some blackout poetry from the book summary. Education access, well-being, broad-based fight, social democracy, choked off, political center bereft, deeply inequitable, drastically divided. What's the weightiest phrase? To me, and maybe Shelton would agree, it's well-being. Consider what that phrase means to you and your family. Consider it economically. Consider it in terms of your physical, mental, or emotional health. Now think of how all those are inextricably intertwined in the midst of neoliberal capitalism. Two-thirds of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Got student loans on the promise that education would change your life? The terrifying trade-offs millions of Americans face as student loan repayments resume, as situated by NBC News this past Sunday. How does this heartfelt rhetoric about the promise of opportunity sound now? Seven years ago, Rebecca and Ben Erler of Minneapolis were newlyweds. She waited tables. He worked construction. Their first child, Jack, was on the way. They were young and in love in America. And it doesn't get much better than that. If only we had known Rebecca wrote to me last spring, what was about to happen to the housing and construction market. As the crisis worsened, Ben's business dried up, so he took what jobs he could find, even if they kept him on the road for long stretches of time. Rebecca took out student loans and enrolled in community college and retrained for a new career. They sacrificed for each other, and slowly it paid off. They bought their first home. They had a second son, Henry. Rebecca got a better job and then a raise. Ben's back in construction and home for dinner every night. It is amazing, Rebecca wrote, what you can bounce back from when you have to. We are a strong, tight-knit family who has made it through some very, very hard times. We are a strong, tight-knit family who has made it through some very, very hard times. America, Rebecca and Ben's story is our story. They represent the millions who've worked hard and scrimped and sacrificed and retooled. You are the reason that I ran for this office. You are the people I was thinking of six years ago today in the darkest months of the crisis, when I stood on the steps of this Capitol and promised we would rebuild our economy on a new foundation. 
And it has been your resilience, your effort, that has made it possible for our country to emerge stronger. That was Obama in his 2015 State of the Union speech. As Shelton writes, but this story, in which Rebecca represented one of the millions who have worked hard and scrimped and sacrificed and retooled, begged the question of how the Democratic agenda had failed to advance a vision in which workers like Rebecca and Ben couldn't simply have a decent livelihood without the struggle and the student debt. The education myth questions the idea that education represents the best, if not the only, way for Americans to access economic opportunity. As John Shelton shows, linking education to economic well-being was not politically inevitable. In the 18th and 19th centuries, for instance, public education was championed as a way to help citizens learn how to participate in a democracy. By the 1930s, public education, along with union rights and social security, formed an important component of a broad-based fight for social democracy. Shelton demonstrates that beginning in the 1960s, the political power of the education myth choked off powerful social democratic alternatives, like A. Philip Randolph and Bayard Rustin's Freedom Budget. The nation's political center was bereft of any realistic ideas to guarantee economic security and social dignity for the majority of Americans, particularly those without college degrees. Embraced first by Democrats like Lyndon Johnson, Jimmy Carter, and Bill Clinton, Republicans like George W. Bush also pushed the education myth. The result, over the past four decades, has been the emergence of a deeply inequitable economy and a drastically divided political system. This has been consequential to say the least, as Shelton explains. When it comes to human capital, Trump and social democracy, you got a host of things you can insert of how capital has just co-opted so much of our labor, our spirit, our everything. Why did you land on education? It's important because the little subtitle there is human capital, right? And human capital, it's kind of a boring term, actually, but it's a really important term because it was a term that was coined by economists in the 1950s and 60s. And what these economists said, there was a couple ones, you know, kind of in particular. One of them was named Gary Becker. The other was named Theodore Schultz. What they said was, you know, after World War II, the reason the United States was becoming so prosperous and uh, so much more economically democratic is because they said workers were getting more skills. They were getting more education, and that was allowing them to be able to sell their labor for more in the job market. And so this idea, this little nugget of an idea that came from economists became something that a lot of politicians in the years since picked up on, right? Starting actually with the Johnson administration. Johnson did a lot of good things, but a lot of their social policies, a lot of their reforms revolved around this idea that, you know, if people were poor, it was because they didn't have the right job skills. And that led to a lot of disastrous consequences, right? Because instead of doing things like guaranteeing people jobs, ensuring that people had universal health care, it led them down this path of emphasizing job training and education at the expense of all these other things that people really need to feel like they're living in a good society. So when I talk about the education myth, it doesn't mean that I'm anti-education, right? Like, how could I be anti-education? I'm an educator. I do this for a living. What I'm arguing for in the book is I say there's this myth around education that by itself, if you just give working people the right skills, it doesn't matter what capital's doing. It doesn't matter what corporations are doing to go to war on workers. It doesn't matter how you have presidential administrations like Bill Clinton's negotiating trade deals that hurt American working people because we're going to make sure they have the right education and retrain them, give them the human capital to succeed. That's the education myth. And that's that's what makes it problematic is because, you know, for 40, 50 years, 
what mainstream politicians, Democrats and Republicans alike, actually, up until very recently, basically told people education is going to be your sort of ticket out of all of these other bigger things that are holding you down. And that's led a lot of working people to become disaffected by the political system and say, they're not really offering me anything. They're not going to improve my lives, Democrats or Republicans, or they internalize it and they say, well, like I didn't succeed because I guess I didn't get the right education. You know, the word Trump in there is actually really important too, because what I argue is that that's one of the reasons that Trump was able to succeed in 2016 is because he picked up not everybody, right? There's a lot of reasons why Trump won. One of them is some portion of the people voting for him were like literal white supremacists, but some people wanted things to change because all they had been told their entire lives as jobs were being pushed overseas with these trade deals and union rights were being evaporated and health insurance was getting crappier, they were being told and lectured to that they didn't get the right education. And so they deserved what they got. And so that's why we've in large part ended up with the political system we have, because this education myth has really diminished as a society, our sense of what's politically possible with terrible consequences. So as an educator myself, I want to know that I'm making a difference on a human level the best that I can, but I sure can't do it alone. The system in which my students are going needs to meet them at their potential and provide structural support to take the promise of graduation and allow them to follow their dreams, as they're told so loftily to do, without these automatic encumbrances or trade-offs we so often have to make. So if you've gotten a dose of experience with these, like most of us have, the education myth will give a greater understanding of those pervasive issues at play and how social democracy still has a fighting chance if the tie between education and economic security is approached with concern for the well-being of everyone, regardless. So thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the show, you can find Labor Force on Spotify for podcasters and select a level, starting at just a dollar a month. Also, please share, rate, and review to help others find the show. You can listen anywhere you get your podcasts. And speaking of listening and broadening your worker contact, the Labor Force Podcast is now affiliated with the Labor Radio Podcast Network, an indispensable labor source where you can find many more shows like this one. You can check it out at laborradionetwork.org. Until next time, take care and stay union strong.